there's there's a rise in interest in our our finance. Uh, we have JPM, for example, like, as well as other companies that we're seeing uh, moving into the space uh, and, and trying RL on financial decision making. Ray was actually developed uh, because of the need uh, to write a reinforcement learning library. Talk RL. Talk RL podcast is all reinforcement learning all the time, featuring brilliant guests, both research and applied. Join the conversation on Twitter at TalkRL Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Chohan. A brief message from AnyScale, our sponsor for this episode. Reinforcement learning is gaining traction as a complementary approach to supervised learning, with applications ranging from recommender systems to games to production planning. So don't miss Ray Summit, the annual user conference for the Ray Open Source Project, where you can hear how teams at Dow, Verizon, Riot Games, and more are solving their RL challenges with RLLib. That's the Ray Ecosystem's open source library for RL. Ray Summit is happening August 23rd and 24th in San Francisco. You can register at raysummit.org and use the code RAYSUMMIT22RL for a further 25% off the already reduced prices of $100 for keynotes only or $150 to add a tutorial from Sven. These prices are for the first 25 people to register. Now I can say from personal experience, I've used Ray's RLlib and I have recommended it for consulting clients. It's easy to get started with, but it's also highly scalable and supports a variety of advanced algorithms and, and settings. Now on to our episode. Sven Mika is the reinforcement learning team lead at AnyScale and lead committer of RLlib. He holds a PhD in biomathematics, bioinformatics, and computational biology from Witten Herdecke University. Thank you, Sven, for joining us today. Hey, Robin. Nice. Nice to meet you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So can we start with AnyScale? What does AnyScale do? Yeah, so AnyScale is the uh, the startup behind uh, the Ray open source uh, library, um, which is a Python package um, that uh, is supposed to make uh, uh, distributed computing very, very easy. Um, and uh, the, Ray, the Ray package comes with several uh, what we call libraries. Um, uh, mostly related to machine learning, for example, uh, our lib for reinforcement learning. Uh, we have RaySurf for like model serving, uh, and so on. And the idea of or the the, the bets that we are making at any scale um, and in our philosophy is that um, distributed computing is really hard. Um, it's normally something that's that's as a software developer you would like to outsource somehow in your work. Like it's not if you if you want to write a for example a machine learning distributed application. Um, you would probably not want to worry about uh, this aspect of your work. Um, so the idea is to have a, a platform, uh, the AnyScale platform, uh, where you can very easily uh, bring up a, a cluster, uh, either on, right now we support Amazon or, or GCP, um, and then run your, preferably, of course, Ray applications, but not, not just a restricted to Ray, but any distributed application on the platform. Um, and, and the idea is to have both this, this OSS or the open source Ray um, system that, that will draw five uh, users uh, into becoming um, customers for any scale for this any scale platform. Um, so we're roughly uh, 100 people right now. Um, we collected uh, more than uh, 100 million um, investor money so far. Um, and we have been around for roughly three years, uh, I believe. Um, I joined any scale two and a half years ago um, as the uh, RL person uh, first, so now we kind of uh, since since roughly a year ago we grew into a larger team of uh, five full time RL engineers, uh, and my team is responsible for developing and maintaining this this RLlib library within the Ray open source system. 
We're here to talk about RLib mostly, but RLib is based on Ray. So can you tell us a bit about Ray to get started? Uh, yeah, so with Ray, you can um, either specify, we call these tasks. So these are functions that you can tag with a, with a Python decorator. Um, and then the, the function, you can, you can uh, call it, uh, like say, let's say, a thousand times. Um, and the function then gets executed on different uh, nodes uh, based on your, your, research, your resources uh, that you have in the cluster uh, in parallel. And they can collect the results in parallel. Uh, and this works locally, on, uh, for example, with multiprocessing, but also on, on a cluster with different uh, machines. Um, and this is the easy case. You have a function. The harder cases, you have a, a class. Uh, and then we call this an actor. Um, so the class has a state and you can, you can tag it the same way. Uh, this is the, the at ray.remote tag, uh, that you put on your class. Um, and then you have these actors run on the, on the cloud, on the different machines, uh, using different types of resources that you can specify. For example, uh, by default, it's just a CPU, but uh, you can also, of course, think about actors that, that utilize GPUs. Um, and then you can kind of like sort of ping these actors uh, by calling their methods. Um, Kind of like think about a microservice that's that you would like to uh, utilize, or an array of microservices that you would like to um, to request um, data from. Um, and our lib utilizes Ray uh, in such a way that um, the most common case that our lib um, taps into using Ray is the uh, the environment parallelization. So you have um, instead of just having a single environment that you step through. Uh, collecting some data and then you, you, uh, you learn on that data. Um, our lib by default, um, is already distributed. So, so for example, if you take the PPO algorithm, um, our default setting, our default configuration for that algorithm uses, uh, two of these actors or two of these, we call them rollout workers. Uh, that's the class. And then we make it a ray actor by, by decorating it. Um, and each of these rollout workers has, has environment copies, uh, either one or more, uh, for, for batch four passing. Um, and so you can, uh, so PPO can, can collect samples much faster than, than a single, uh, environment PPO would be able to. Um, this is like a very simple example. We have other algorithms like, uh, you know, A2C, A3C, um, uh, and, and then the newer ones, um, that's, that works in a similar way, um, and have different, very complex, sometimes very complex execution patterns where you, uh, not just collect uh, samples from the environment in parallel, but you also co already calculate radians uh, on, on the workers and send the, the results back for updating. And, uh, for this to to to, uh, to serve these really complex execution patterns that RL uh, requires, um, Ray is the perfect tool. And as a matter of fact, Ray was actually developed <laughs> uh, because of the need uh, to write a reinforcement learning library. So they wanted to the the Ray's lab at, at Berkeley wanted to uh, build a reinforcement library, and then they figured out oh, we need we need some nice tool that helps us with the um, Unifying and, and, and taking the, the difficulty away from, from distributed computing. There's such a wide variety of settings. Um, what are the settings that are best suited for RLib in terms of off policy, on policy, model based, model free, multi agent, offline, etc.? Yeah, so RLib is, is really, there's no, no particular emphasis on any of these, uh, again, except for the, um, like, like limited support for model, for really model based RL. Also, what's, what, what we see a lot is oh, where, where the traction of the whole Ray ecosystem comes, um, comes in for the users is that Ray has these, not just the, the RL library, but also the other machine learning libraries. For example, Ray tune for hyperparameter tuning, uh, Ray serve for model serving or Ray, uh, Ray train, uh, for, for supervised learning. Um, and there's a lot of uh, interest right now in, in combining all of these. Uh, we, like, for example, to do, if you want to do uh, what's called online learning, uh, you, you 
you train some model, uh, either with supervised learning or with reinforcement learning, you deploy it into production, you see what happens, kind of evaluate it there because, uh, because you don't have, you, you cannot do it in the simulator. You need to see what, what it's doing in production. Uh, you collect more data in production and then you use that, that new data to, to retrain and to kind of like repeat the whole process. So that's, that's one of the other strengths of our lib because it's so well integrated with these, uh, with these other machine learning libraries that, that Ray comes with. So we featured authors of other major R libraries on the show, uh, Antonin Refant and Ashley Hill, who wrote Stable Baselines, and Pablo Samuel Castro, who wrote Dopamine. Um, how do you situate RLlib in a landscape with uh, these other types of R libraries? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we have we have thought about this ourselves for for like a lot, and uh, we did some surveys uh, trying to find out what uh, what people use and and why they use uh, other libraries other than RLlib. Uh, and where our lip stands in this in this uh, ecosystem of of our libraries, or um, and uh, and yes, uh, stable baselines uh, definitely uh, is probably the um, still is the go to tool for when you when you start with RL and when you want to just understand uh, maybe some algorithm um, because it's the implementation is a little simpler. You have only one environment, um, kind of like single single batch uh, setup. Mm. RLib, yes, it's it's the the heavier version of of an RL library because of the the scalability and and the other really nice features that that uh, we believe uh, it it stands out uh, from uh, from from the other from the crowd, uh, which are for example multi agent support, uh, strong offline RL support. Uh, we support both TensorFlow and PyTorch, uh, all types of models. Uh, you can you can plug in an LSTM. We have those off the shelf that you can just use. Uh, attention nets, uh, regular uh, CNN networks, and MLPs. Um, so that's that's where we see our LIP in in the place where if you have larger workloads, uh, we have we have customers that use uh, hundred workers. Um, so they they step through hundred environments in parallel. Uh, the environment sits maybe on some server that they have to connect through. Uh, these really complex large scale distributed workloads um, are are yeah predestined for for using our lib. Uh, the other round, our lib is predestined for for supporting these. Uh, we are trying to tackle this this the problem of complexity and the problem of this steep learning curve that people tell tell us we have. Uh, and we realize that as well, of course, um, by different different uh, projects that we're working on right now. So we have a we had a huge push for over the last half year in simplifying APIs. Uh, and also, so that's, that's one topic. I can go a little bit more in detail if, if you'd like. Uh, that's, that's one thing. We simplify the APIs, make the code more structured, more transparent, uh, more self-explicatory. And the other, the other larger, um, item that we have on our list is better documentation. Um, more examples, uh, maybe create some YouTube videos on, on how to do cool stuff, uh, with our lip, like very typical, like how to set up typical things, typical experiments with our lip, uh, and so on. Well, I have no doubt that you'll get that and more done. Um, but to be fair to stable baselines, they do support vector environments where you can run uh, many environments. But I believe that they are limited to a single machine, which Ray, of course, uh, doesn't have that limitation. Right. How big can these runs get with RLlib? Uh, yeah. So again, I mentioned before we had, so we, we have seen users use uh, hundreds and, and more workers. Uh, we, we've run experiments with 250. I believe on, on, for example, on Impala, uh, some benchmarks uh, use these. So these run on, yeah, really large clusters with like one head node uh, that has a couple of GPUs, and then you have uh, dozens of, of small 
or CPU machines uh, so that these, these environment workers can run on those. Uh, and we've seen these, these workloads used also by our, by our users slash customers. Um, in a meaningful way. The, the other axis that comes in here for, for scaling is the, the hyperparameter tuning axis. So, uh, this is, this, this, this could be like a single job, right? Where you say I have a hundred environment workers, uh, and, and on the head note for, for learning, for updating my model, I use a couple of GPUs. But you can also then sc scale this further on another axis and say I have, uh, eight different hyperparameter sets that I would like to try, uh, or, or different model architecture. So, uh, so again, by combining our lib with with other Ray libraries, uh, Ray Tune in this case, uh, you can uh, yeah you can you can think that that this becomes even even larger uh, job and and uh, then uh, sure you can you can run hyperparameter sweeps in, in sequence, but you would also like to to parallelize here. Can you tell us about some of the use cases you've seen for RLlib? Uh, what the customers are doing with it? Yeah, I can talk about that. That's actually well, actually one of, one of the most exciting parts of of working with RLlib. Um, so we are currently, our rough idea is that we have uh, two major um, bets that we're taking right now for the for the next couple of months to, to work on, which is the gaming industry, as well as uh, the Rexis uh, sector. Um, and uh, for, let me talk about the gaming industry, we have uh, two customers that have already presented publicly about what they're doing, so I can, I can uh, talk about this here. Uh, which is uh, Wildlife Studios as well as Riot Games. And uh, the interesting thing is that they use our lip for very different setups or use cases. Uh, Wildlife is, is building a, um, or has built an in-game items sales recommender system that basically figures out prices for the, for the players. Um, that they would probably pay for some some items that they can buy for their games, uh, and they have used Arlib for for that. Um, also, like in an online fashion, kind of like uh, training with Arlib offline, using offline Arlib, then deploying into production, um, using different OPE methods to figure out what's what's could, what could be the best model. Uh, using Raysurf for 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 the price serving, and then collecting more data, bringing it all back, and kind of repeating the cycle. Um, and then Riot Games uh, does does this classic thing where they have uh, they have these these multiplayer um, adversarial games where t different teams play against each other. Uh, and one of the main challenges for for these kind of uh, game studios is that they have to make sure the games are fair and and uh, there's uh, there's no imbalance in the game. Maybe because you're picking a different character or different uh, weapons and all these things, um, so that the game doesn't get boring. Um, so that's that's a big challenge uh, where they can normally they would use uh, testers that would play the games uh, a couple of times and this is very expensive and very tedious. Uh, so it would be much nicer to have a bot that can play the game against itself using using self play uh, and then learn how to uh, or like kind of like figure out automatically where these um, where these exploits could lie or where these imbalances could could be located. For example, they've they figured out that one one card in one of their their uh, cards like uh, games uh, was very powerful and they had to reduce the the value of the card <laughs> by one and that that completely fixed like this this imbalance. When I think yeah. of recommender systems, I often think of the one step case, the banded case. Is that what you're talking about here, or also the full RL setting, the multi step uh, case? Yeah, correct. I'm actually talking about both. So we we still see a lot of companies trying bandits uh, as a single step kind of like try to optimize the very next reward kind of setup. Um, but also, uh, but also you have these these uh, companies that always think in uh, long term effects on the recommendations on on engaging the user. Uh, maybe it has some some negative effect that you uh, that you always make some recommendations and the user clicks on it, engages with it, uh, and kind of gets gets tired maybe of the content. So these these considerations uh, kind of slowly creep into their um, yeah into their considerations of of the problems that they want to solve. So this the session based um, long long range um, 
um, yeah, kind of like delayed reward uh, settings uh, that you can only use with, with classic RL. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of movement right now. A lot of uh, companies uh, want to want to try RL for Rexis, uh, where before they used either either some non-machine learning methods or like supervised learning. Uh, now they, I think they figured out that this this end-to-end setup of RL is really nice, and you can uh, it just gives you an action, and then you can just use that without having to program more logic into the system. Uh, but it's it's very hard. I feel uh, like one one of the challenges here in Rexis, maybe to explain this, uh, is is the if you have to recommend uh, several items, so like um, think about YouTube, and you have you go to YouTube, and you have these eight or or a couple of slots that are filled with with recommended videos, uh, it's it's quite uh, crazy for the action space what this means. If you have to fill, uh, it kind of explodes uh, easily. If you think about the the number of videos that YouTube has, several dozen billions, I think, um, and you have to pick twelve of those, that that makes your action space. Uh, quickly explode if you don't have like a nice pre-selection uh, method that you probably want to put there, uh, which has nothing to do with RL. <laughs> so you have to be careful there. This it's it's really like a big challenge. I find it really really difficult. Uh, that's just one problem. The other problem is the user model. Like how do you uh, how do you do this all without without a simulator? Maybe maybe you have a simulator, but maybe like how how do you program the user into the simulator? The user behavior, uh, especially the long-term behavior, the long-term effects on on what you do with the user, what you recommend to the user uh, into this model. Uh, I find that extremely challenging, uh, an extremely challenging problem. Uh, so other use cases uh, that we're seeing, uh, there's there's a rise in interest in our, our finance. Uh, we have JPM, for example, I can I can say this because also they um, publicly spoke about this uh, using RLib, as well as other companies that we're seeing uh, moving into the space uh, and, and trying RL on financial decision-making, um, buy-sell decisions uh, and, and so on. Um, and then another one is uh, we, have, we have seen some some attempts in, in self-driving cars, robotics. It does feel like some some verticals are further ahead. Uh, another one is logistics, which is which is also very further ahead. Or like this this whole process optimization um, uh, sector, uh, where you have some maybe you have some factory uh, like a, um, a chemical factory, and and you would like to optimize different uh, different processes there uh, through through RL. Uh, that's also very very far ahead. Um, already and uh, but but yeah the, the, the different verticals have have made uh, different amounts of progress into into moving into RL and the the only problem that we see right now still is that it's not at large scale yet so we see single companies starting to think about it but I don't think we are quite at the point where where really everyone wants to wants to do it right now um, but I think we are we're close <laughs> uh, so so maybe it's another year uh, it's hard to tell and this is the, one of the difficulties uh, for us at any scale uh, to predict. Uh, when this really, when this point will happen where, where everything really goes, goes exponential. Um, it's, it's quite a challenge. Can you say a bit about the roadmap for RLib? Uh, what do you see in the future for RLib? As I already mentioned before, like one important project that we're currently working on, I would say we're maybe 50, 60% done with that is API simplification. So we are, uh, we have realized that stable baselines, for example, is, is a, a much nicer library to use and to learn and, and easier to learn. Uh, and, and we really respect that. And we would like to, uh, for our lip, um, to become or, or to, to have that feature or have that feel as well. Um, so we're trying to, Get rid of old, complicated, unintuitive APIs. Um, uh, I can give you an example. For example, our uh, our algorithms, uh, the configurations. They used to be uh, Python dictionaries where you had to, we didn't really know what the different keys were, and we had some users tell us um, that one of the main uh, locations where they would hang out on the internet would be the the, the our lip documentation page where all the the config options were listed. 
Um, and so, so instead now we have changed this to a, to config object. So you can create a, uh, an, an instance of a config class and then you have um, type safe properties that you can set inside this class. Uh, the class comes with different helper methods, for example, to set training related parameters uh, or, or rollout related parameters, uh, resource related parameters, so on. Uh, so it's much more structured. It's much more IDE friendly. You can see the different uh, doc strings in your IDE uh, and immediately know what's, what setting you need to um, adjust to make the algorithm. Um, yeah, hopefully learn, learn a little faster. That's one change we did. We are currently also exploring uh, making our models uh, easier to to um, customize. Um, before every algorithm kind of had its own, yeah, model API. You'd, like a DQN would have this this uh, queue model thing, and it would have certain methods that we call for for handling the the uh, dueling uh, um, head, for example. Um, now we're trying to unify all that so that in between the different algorithms, you can use the same. Uh, subclasses, for example, for for a queue network or for a policy network or for a value function network uh, or for a transition dynamics network, um, and that that will all be unified. And you can you can, this will make it easier to to plug and play these different uh, maybe PyTorch or TensorFlow models that you have uh, flying around anyway. If you if you do research on these things, um, and then the algorithms will just recognize any of those. So it's uh, it will be much more pluggable and much more intuitive um, to set up. Uh, different arbitrarily complex models for your algorithms. So I understand RLib supports both PyTorch and TensorFlow. How does that work? Yeah, great question. Uh, it, it makes things much more complicated, yes. Uh, we don't have an internal uh, RLib-specific deep learning framework. No, we just uh, basically do everything um, twice. Uh, so, so, But, but it's, it's simpler than that. So the, the top um, concept in RLib is the algorithm, which is completely framework agnostic. It determines when you, when you sample, or it determines when things should happen. So when should I sample? When should I put the samples into my replay buffer? When should I sample from the replay buffer? When should I update my, my, uh, policy network from, from that data? Completely framework agnostic, uh, just, you just pass around abstract, uh, abstract, uh, objects and, and concepts. And then on the one level below, you have the, we have what we call the policy. Uh, and that one is framework specific. So we have a TensorFlow policy superclass and the Torch policy superclass. Um, and the different algorithms, for example, PPO and DQN, they have their own loss functions, which are part of this policy written uh, in, in two in two ways, in, in TensorFlow and in PyTorch. Uh, the the problem of TensorFlow 1 with, with the sessions and TensorFlow 2 with, with eager and, and uh, not using sessions and placeholders we solve by kind of automating this away. So you really only have to write one TensorFlow loss function to support both these versions. Um, but yes, for each algorithm, we have to write uh, both both loss functions. But that's mostly it. Um, and then the other thing you have to be careful, of course, is the, the default models. Uh, so we have we have a s set of different uh, default models, MLPs, uh, some, some simple CNN setup, uh, as well as an LSTM setup. Uh, of course, those also we provide in both TensorFlow and PyTorch. But the main work is really for the loss functions. If you want to implement a new algorithm, uh, for our users, it doesn't matter. They, they just implement one of these. Uh, and then, of course, their algorithm only exists in, in that one world. But for the, the, the built-in algorithms that come with our lib, uh, we went through the work and implemented the loss functions in both, uh, in both frameworks. But it's, it's, not as it's not as bad as it sounds. It's not as much work, I think, as people would fear it is. So that's, that's the good thing. Does the TensorFlow side still get a lot of use? Um, seems in the research side, PyTorch is more common. 
Uh, I think so. So a lot of uh, industry users are still on TensorFlow. They believe in the uh, in the speed, in the performance. Uh, we we have seen weird stuff with Torch lately that sometimes it runs super fast. Uh, depending on the machine you are on, um, whether you are on, on an M processor or uh, also the GPU, CUDA versions play a big role. Uh, but a lot of industry users still use TensorFlow, um, the TensorFlow versions of the algorithms. Um, also, sometimes they don't really care. They use everything out of the out of the box, um, so they don't really have uh, their own models. They just use everything that comes with our lab, anyways. Um, so then, in this situation, they can easily switch and compare, which is also very nice. Uh, but uh, traditionally, we have seen that TensorFlow still has uh, some some edge over PyTorch uh, performance-wise. But we also we from time to time we we look into PyTorch and see why. Um, or like how we can make it faster and, and which, which there, there are these JRT tricks that you can uh, apply to, to make it like similar to, to how you would, um, yeah, use TensorFlow 2 with the, with the eager tracing to make it faster. Uh, we're still kind of like working on that one. Um, but yeah, we see, we still see a lot of people on TensorFlow, definitely. Um, I think in the research area, uh, probably PyTorch has, has the, uh, the edge now, but I think in industry is still pretty undecided. Uh, to this point we had jordan terry on recently who maintains gym and they, and they were, were talking, talking about, about rl systems that have both the agent and the environment in the gpu and so the entire rl clock cycle is happening within the gpu um is there any plans to do anything like that with RLlib? yeah we've seen this come up in in discussions with with uh, with jordan himself but also with our users and, and customers or potential customers the need to to do exactly that so to be on the gpu in your environment because maybe the environment has a complex image space uh, observation space um, and then to uh, to not have to copy all the data from the gpu on the environment back to the cpu send it through the ray uh, object store uh, and then and then b basically move it back to the GPU for for learning updates. We have seen this this question a lot, uh, and we started thinking about it. We started experimenting with it. Um, another possible setup is to even think about having um, different GPUs. So you have the environment on one GPU uh, on on several, and then the the central GPU for learning. Um, how can you uh, realize direct GPU to GPU communication to to also speed this up um, to uh, to at least avoid the the CPU copy. Um, and we we have come to the conclusion that this is more like a problem that we should solve in in Raycore um, via the object store. So the object store the, this is the thing that Ray works with that uh, basically is available from all the different nodes in a cluster. Uh, things go into the object store as read only. They get serialized, put there, and then uh, you can pass the reference around. And then with the reference on the other side uh, of the cluster, you can you can pull it out of the object store. But this is all before stuff goes to the object store. This is all being copied to the CPU. So that's currently the problem, uh, and we're trying to solve that. Um, if we can say uh, this this particular data should yes, it should go to the object store, but please uh, leave it on. Uh, on the GPU or, or send it directly to this other GPU in the cluster. Uh, we are, we're currently working on this. It's on our roadmap and, uh, but we have to still figure out a lot of details, uh, related to our lip. Um, for example, yeah, what's, what's, what does this mean for the environments? Um, then we may need to add JAX support, uh, because you have the, the nice, uh, NumPy JAX API that you can then use, um, and yeah, we currently don't don't support checks, but this is this is on our roadmap, and this may may happen uh, pretty soon. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about the team behind uh, RLlib? Yeah, great question. So we have a as I, as I mentioned before, the, our team size is roughly we have five full time engineers. Uh, we had a couple interns that that finished their uh, fantastic projects uh, already. Uh, one one finished yesterday. Um, Rohan, who worked on off policy evaluation. 
uh, a nice new API for this, uh, and as well as the uh, WROBOS implementation that we have right now in our lib, um, and the other one, Charles, who is working on the decision transform implementation. Um, it's quite a challenge uh, for myself. I'm, I'm working remotely from, from Germany, um, and most of the other uh, people are in, in San Francisco. Um, but we, we have a pretty solid uh, pipeline for like planning and, and uh, we work in sprints. Uh, so we plan ahead every, uh, every two weeks on what everyone should, should work uh, on for the next, uh, for the next two weeks. Uh, and then we do pretty solid uh, quarterly planning where we um, come up with, uh, with, with lots of thoughts of, of what, where, where the direction that our lip should go into, what's, what's needed by the, um, by the users, by the important uh, customers. Um, and what also what's, what things are we predicting to to happen next? Like, is is uh, gaming gonna be the next big thing in the next six months or so? Um, so all this goes into the planning, uh, and then we come up with a uh, they're quite detailed, kind of like by the by the engineering week uh, sort of planning um, what everyone should work on. Uh, distribute this among the engineers, uh, and then during the quarter, make sure that we help each other out uh, if there are, if there are roadblocks or if they're like. Uh, someone gets stuck somewhere. We, uh, the, the whole team works out. It's, qu- it's working really quite well. We have only been together for a couple of months now, I have to say. So the last two and a half years since I joined Anyscale, most of the time I was more or less working alone on our lip. Uh, maybe had some help from, from interns in between. Uh, also in the beginning, uh, Eric was still there, uh, who then moved into the Ray Core team. But the, the, this, our lip team, this, this really like larger team that's, that's working professionally full time on our lip, uh, has only been around for really a couple of months now. Uh, since the beginning of this year, so um, and I feel like it's it's working really well. Like we uh, we're getting a lot of stuff done. We, our lab is changing uh, quite a lot uh, right now uh, as we go towards Ray 2.0, uh, and I'm really really happy about um, the the yeah intermediary results so far. Uh, I look forward to really to to um, yeah to all the nice changes that that are to come. Can I ask you about testing? How do you test RLib? Yeah, uh, yeah, testing, that's actually one of the pain points we discussed recently in a, in a, like, how can we be more efficient? Uh, testing right now, yeah, we have, we have a CI, uh, we use BuildKite for our CI tests, um, and the, the RLib, when you, when you do a, a branch, uh, from, from master, and then you have your own, uh, um, branch and you push a, a, um, an update to your PR, uh, takes about, yeah, more than an hour to, to fully run because we have, we have all the unit tests, we have the, what we call the CI learning tests, which are like smaller learning tests on Cardpole and Pendulum environments, uh, for all the different algorithms, for all the different frameworks, uh, sometimes even different, different settings and different model types. Uh, so that's roughly an hour, uh, which, which it shouldn't, shouldn't take that long. We, we can, there's a lot of things that we can do better to, to maybe cut it in half. Uh, one of these things is our lib is not dependent on, uh, on building stuff. Our lib is really just source files. It's a pure Python. Uh, library, you, we should be able to just pull a, a ready container and just run on there. Uh, that's something we can, we can heavily optimize. Um, and then we have daily, uh, release tests that we run. So, uh, and those are like heavier or harder task learning tests on, uh, on Atari, on, on, uh, Mujoko, uh, also for the different algorithms, for the different frameworks, uh, TensorFlow and PyTorch. Um, and those take, uh, several hours to run on like expensive GPU machines, but we, uh, also there, we did a lot of progress lately. We added a lot of algorithms, so we have much more trust in, in ourselves right now, uh, which is very good um, and very important. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a huge pain point as uh, as as a yeah team of, of OSS developers. So I understand RLlib is not your first RL library. Uh, can you tell us about how you got here? 
Yeah, sure. So the my my journey to RL actually started with uh, with with games. So I was I was looking at the Unreal Engine uh, in, in I think it was 2016, uh, and I wanted to. I had this crazy idea of writing a system that uh, where you have like a game world, and then you have some some characters in there, and the characters would kind of like learn how to uh, interact and kind of play the game. Uh, and I, I did wasn't even didn't even know much about RL back then, um, but this idea of like creating kind of like a background story by just making the characters. Uh, become smarter and smarter and, and act in this world. Um, it got me into into RL, and then I figured oh, this is the perfect method to to use for this to solve this kind of problem. Um, so that's when I started learning about RL and and uh, also writing some some uh, my own libraries up front or some own algorithms. Uh, and I started with uh, joining the TensorForce group, uh, the TensorForce open source project uh, that was in 2017, um, and then we. Yeah, TensorForce is another another open source our library, um, and then with some of these people from the TensorForce uh, OSS or GitHub repo, we started RL Graph. Um, in this was 2018, 2019, uh, we published a paper comparing ourselves or comparing RL Graph with our lib, uh, and that paper then uh, got attention uh, from from the AnyScale team. Uh, and uh, at the end of 2019, uh, I believe AnyScale reached out to me. Uh, and also to other people from the Aurograph team and, and uh, asked us whether we would like to work for them. Yeah, and then Surreal, uh, Surreal is a smaller library that I came up with. Uh, I wanted to, I was always obsessed with the idea to make it really, really simple to implement an algorithm. Um, like it shouldn't be harder than you read the paper, you see the pseudocode, you understand pseudocode, and then you just use as many lines as are in the pseudocode to code the algorithm in a library. It's, it's, uh, it's a tough goal to to achieve, but that's that should be the ideal, in in, in my opinion, for for any RL library or the the, the ultimate goal. Uh, and that was that was surreal. So I tried to really uh, implement the algorithms in a very kind of like uh, dense but easy to read fashion. Um, and I had some some algorithms in there. I think PPO, SAC, DQN. Um, yeah. So that was that was just like some small side project. It was it was also related to games. I had a, had a module in there where you could plug in the Unreal Engine to to this um, to this RL library, uh, and then learn some some smaller problems. Uh, very similar to ML Agents for Unity. Uh, I wanted to do the same with with the Unreal Engine, and that was that's surreal. Sven, is there anything else you want to share with our audience while you're here? Uh, yeah, sure. So we have our Ray Summit coming up uh, in August, uh, end of August, 22nd and 23rd um, in San Francisco. It's the first Ray Summit. Uh, this is the third one and the first one that's actually in person. I'm super excited to be there. Uh, we'll fly in on, on uh, at the end of August there to give a tutorial uh, on our lip. Um, and there's other cool talks about uh, how people use uh, Ray in industry, how people use uh, Ray's libraries in industry. Um, of course, also a lot of talks in our lip. Yeah, if you're interested, uh, sign up and, and join us for the summit. That'll Awesome. Sven, Mika, it's been great chatting with you and learning about RLlib. Uh, looking forward to Ray Summit. And thanks so much for sharing your time and your insight with uh, the TalkRL audience today. Thank you, Sven. Thanks a lot, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here.